Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Chewie. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am not here with my co-host, the man best known for stealing Mace Windu's swag, Drew Brett. He's feeling a little bit under the weather, so he's chilling in the back to tank for now. But tonight we do have a returning guest, our good friend. He has a voice so smooth, it is the ASMR that Dooku listens to to go to sleep. From a larger view of the Force, welcome to Vor. I, I don't know how you come up with these intros. <laughs> I usually just like try to think of the weirdest things that I can. They're delightful. I I, I try. I was I, trying to uh, to do something with Mace Windu's hair, uh, and it just it didn't work. But um, I knew I, I I had to pull in some tales of the Jedi stuff, so I needed to figure out a figure out a Dooku connection. But Devor, welcome back, man. How have you been? Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I've I've been good. Yeah. There, there's been a lot of, a lot of good Star Wars lately to talk about. Really? So. I haven't really noticed anything. <laughs> no, uh, we're going to be talking about one of those things today. We're going to get into our best and butts of uh, Tales of the Jedi, which, uh, spoiler alert for everybody on here, Devor and I are both huge Star Wars animation fans. So yep. this is going to be a really fun conversation. But speaking of all the, the Star Wars going on, what have you been Star Warsing lately? So, I guess my main Star Wars consumption lately, particularly my regular Star Wars consumption, has really been in the form of Andor, and I mean Tales, of course, also. You know, with High Republic, I am continuing my proud tradition back from Phase 1 of being behind on it. <laughs> I have not yet started Phase 2, although I will be in the not-too-distant future. So, yeah, it's mainly been Andor. What, uh, what are your impressions of it so far? We got the, the penultimate episode uh, this week. Yeah, I've really been loving Andor. It's, it is, you know, as, as so many people have said, it is a Star Wars show and really kind of a Star Wars media product, unlike anything that we've really ever gotten before. It's just been, I've really been enjoying, you know, a couple of things, you know, the, the length for one, you know, the fact that we re- are really getting to marinate in the characters and the environments you know, at the risk of doing a thing that you know, people on Star Wars Twitter like to complain about, which is, you know, putting different Star Wars projects side by side. I do feel that there are certain other Disney Plus shows that could have benefited, you know, maybe not from a 12 episode treatment, nothing that long, but from kind of sitting with, again, their characters and their environments and the story in kind of a way that Andor has. And also just the kind of storytelling and the messaging has just been unbelievable like something like you know as as you just mentioned we are recording this a few days out from the release of the penultimate episode but even just the kind of arc that we just got out of the narkina 5 arc there was just really really compelling stuff in terms of the 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 politics in which it's engaging in and the symbolism the themes and the ideas that are happening in there it's just it's really really extraordinary yeah and i mean you you watch it I, I mean i watch it like three times a week like i i watch it 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, I'm up watching it, just trying to take in everything. And I'm still listening to podcasts and going, how did I miss that? Like, it's that level of deep. And so I like to look at, at Star Wars projects that are successful and go, okay, what did they do on the back end to make it successful? Because you you don't just accidentally end up with these things, right? Exactly. And so I was thinking today on, on, on my drive home from work, it's Tony Gilroy. He's he's running this show. He's writing this show. He's doing all this stuff. He was involved very heavily in making sure Rogue One was able to to do what it was. And I think that this is just another testament to the the impact of being able to retain writers and 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 have continue continuity uh, across these projects because that was one of the big you know, issues with the sequel trilogy, whether you're up or down or, or, or in between on it, there's not a consistency to it because you've got so many different writers. Whereas you can look, we've, we've got lots of data now. High Republic, su- super successful, has a core group of writers. Uh, Rogue One into Andor, you've got Tony Gilroy. Star Wars Animation, you've got Dave Filoni. Like, you have these these people who are running certain spheres or managing certain spheres of Star Wars, and it works really, really well. So I th- I'm hoping that that's the direction that they're going to start taking things, where it's like, okay, we had successful product A, and that is going to lead us to, okay, we're going to offer you successful product B, and we're actually going to follow through on it. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, in in addition to that, as you were talking about the kind of importance and also just the value that you get of having, you know, a single creator or a single creative team that can kind of shepherd particular stories or particular characters. I think what we've also seen with Andor is the, the value that can bring to Star Wars in letting creatives do different types of projects. Mm, yes. Or, you know, projects that are drawing on different genres where, you know, if you look at, like, the, the different slates of things that we have gotten in Star Wars lately, whether you take something like, you know, Andor, which has this very, you know, is drawing from the sort of, like, political thriller sort of genre inspiration. You know, you take something like The Mandalorian, which is, you know, very Western-driven. You take something like, you know, to get out of the TV shows, something like Shadow of the Sith, which is very, like, it's very Star Wars meets fantasy. So, like, being able to give creators the reins to say, well, you can, you know, you're telling a Star Wars story, and that necessarily means that you're going to be hitting certain kind of thematic and storytelling beats, in order for it to be a Star Wars project, because that, at the end of the day, like you need you need the things, you need the ingredients that separate Star Wars from just generic science fiction project. It has to stand out differently beyond just like you know stormtroopers and tie fighters and X wings and things like that. But then within those kind of parameters, to then be able to say, well, take your inspirations from all these different places, from these different genres, from these different time periods and so on like there was that you know that there was an interview with tony gilroy recently where he was talking about i don't know if it was like variety or rolling stone or something where he was talking about like oh i was i've been listening and like consuming all this stuff about like histories of different revolutions and about russian revolution and it's like buddy yeah like (laughs) you watch the show like yeah you were influenced by the russian revolution you know so like being able to have a creative who can like take all of those different kind of influences and be inspired by different sorts of things and give us that kind of um, variety is really important. It's important to have an Andor. It's important to have something like a Bad Batch, you know, to have that kind of 
flavor and variety in Star Wars storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And I get this this impression that there's a subtext across Star Wars fans that we somehow can't like multiple types of Star Wars. Like, you have to have, like, your Star Wars. And I, I, I think we're... We maybe had that, you know, in the, the era when we had the original trilogy and the prequels, and that was it. And it's like, okay, you're an original trilogy person, you're a prequel person, so on and so forth. But now we're getting so many different things. It's like, you can enjoy these things in very different ways. I enjoy the Mandalorian for the the connections to everything else and i enjoy Andor because of the connections it doesn't necessarily have to everything else because then i have to work harder to try to figure out how you piece these things together and i i find that a lot more engaging and it it brings more opportunity for conversation and future storytelling in star wars like if they had announced this as just you know season one of andor and it was going to be a see how you you go kind of thing like mandalorian was this could be a four five six season long thing but uh you know we're, we're getting the two and it, and it seems like they have that pretty ironed out so uh we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes but i'm i'm really enjoying it and i'm very much looking forward to uh god you mentioned bad batch now i'm like oh god i can't wait for january but it's, yeah, it's me too it we're so spoiled you know like I, I always joke, I never have time to read anything but Star Wars, but I just keep getting Star Wars books on my shelf, and it's like, it's a good problem to have. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, anything else that you're kind of into right now that you're, uh, or anything in particular you're looking forward to? <sighs> like, in the realm of Star Wars, I mean, like you said, you know, I am very much looking forward to being back in the time period of the Bad Batch and the story of the Bad Batch. Because it's like, it's it's really interesting. Like, if, if you look at the, I had like a little, like a short little Twitter thread, like not too long ago, where I was talking, or not, it wasn't a thread, I think it was, it was literally one post. But like, you know, if, if you take something like Andor and you take something like Bad Batch, it is very easy at a kind of surface level to, to put them as sort of opposite ends of a spectrum where you go like, well, here on the one hand with Bad Batch, you've got that kind of, animated show it's targeted towards a younger audience it's tonally you know more to a to a kind of younger audience or at least in, in a way that's that you know someone who is let's say 12 or 8 or 9 can consume it along with adults versus you know on the other end of the spectrum you've got something like andor which is tonally darker which is dealing with darker themes we are seeing euthanasia we are seeing suicide you know depicted in these very stark ways and yet if you think about, again, you go to like the Star Wars of it all, like the, the, the themes, you put them next to each other and they're telling actually very complete pictures about this period that, you know, we kind of call the dark times and the rise and the reign of the empire. And you're getting to see kind of both sides of you know, the empire's totalitarianism. You know, you, what we get in Andor is you get the part of the empire, and, you, know, we, you know, people talk about, you know, drawing the analogies of, of the Galactic Empire and fascism, something that I've done, did a whole episode on that. Go check that out. You know, in Andor, you get something like, we get the version or the side of fascism that's like fascism as a reaction. You know, you get the Aldani Ray that happens and then you immediately get, okay, everyone's sentences are going up, we're doing more patrols, we're arresting more people. So you get all that aspect, the whole police state, mass surveillance, everybody, you know, Mon Mothman in her home feeling like she's being watched and being listened to. So you get that side of it. 
that kind of reactionary element to sort of totalitarian fascist regimes. But then you flip over to the Bad Batch. And in the Bad Batch, you get the other side of the coin, which is the kind of revolutionary, move fast, break things of fascism. I was like, okay, we're in power and clones are out, chain codes are in, getting new armor, we're bringing in the conscripts, everything's changing. You know, like that kind of, that, that speed and that intensity of we want to just rip out everything from the roots and we want to build something new. And those two stories complement each other. And they're very different in terms of medium, again, in terms of tone and audience, but they're telling a full story. Yeah, 100%. And I look at Mon Mothma as a testament to that because we've seen her in so many different places, right? We've seen her in Rogue One. We've seen her, obviously, in Return of the Jedi originally, now in Andor. But you see her in Rebels, and you see her at this very important moment in Rebels of when she officially leaves the Senate to become the head of the Rebellion, which Andor is building up to that moment. And it would be very easy for these two shows that, even though they happen at the same time, they or a similar time, they are very different, like you were saying, tonally. It would be very easy to go, eh, this doesn't feel like the same the same character, right? That's one of my biggest complaints with, with Thrawn is he doesn't feel the same on the page as he does on the screen. Mon Mothma feels exactly the same. Like, I could yeah. see her scenes that are happening in Andor uh, happening in animation in the same way that I saw, you know, the scenes when they came out in Rebels as something that I could 100% see being in live action. And that is, you look at who's at the head there, you've got two master craftsmen who are you know know what they're doing to build a world and not just write a cool action movie or whatever it may be like there's there's another level of understanding that's clearly going on with these these kind of projects and like the uh spoiler alert if you haven't seen episode 11 of andor but the the scene with the fondor like that mm -hmm. totally could have been in rebels like yes. 100%. Like it was I was like this is animation like come to life. And so as somebody who for years has been like, hey, look, animation is is good. Like it, it's real deal Star Wars. Um to kind of see in in my opinion where they're starting to mesh together and and there's starting to be less of a divide between them is really really cool. Yeah, exactly. So well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into our best and butts for a particular animation show called Tales of the Jedi. Everywhere there is life, but you must face death. Honor it. Do not fear it. Jedi. Ahsoka is Jedi. The best way I can protect you is to teach you how to protect yourself. Master Dooku. I want to bring peace and order to the galaxy. Master, stop! It is the only way you will truly have victory. My Padawan. Again. Again. Dooku, stand down. 
are back, and it is time to get into a show that I was very much looking forward to, and I very much miss already. Um, and Devor, I know you were looking forward to as well, and that is Tales of the Jedi. So we're going to be talking about all six episodes here. So if you have not seen uh, any of them, spoilers ahead. Take an hour and a half or whatever it is and go watch them. It's it's 100% worth it. Uh and we're just going to use our, our, our best and buts format. We're going to have three on our uh, bottom and bottom butts. <laughs> we're going to have three on our bottom and uh, three on our best of. And for our butts, we will start with the least egregious to the most egregious. And divorce, since you are the guest, I'm hoping you don't steal any of mine, but I'm going to let you go first. All right. So I'm going to preface just my bottom three in general by just saying that I really enjoyed this overall. Like, I had a great time with Tales of the Jedi. Just how much will be evident when we get to our three best. So, coming up with the with you know the three butts was somewhat of a stretch, and it will be kind of reflected where the number three is somewhat kind of nitpicky, and then two is somewhere in the middle, and then my number one is kind of the more like the real kind of genuine substantive gripe that I have with Tales of the Jedi, or at least you know a certain aspect of it. So. With that preface, I will give my number three but, and that has to go to the first two Dooku shorts, not necessarily the, the shorts themselves, because I really enjoyed both episodes, but more just the aspect that I kind of felt like the plots of both of them were in big, broad strokes, very similar in the sense that both of those shorts, both, what was it, Justice and Choices, both gave us the kind of plot beat of Dooku and a Jedi venture to a planet to resolve some dispute involving a senator. They arrive on the planet thinking that circumstances are one way. They get on the ground and then, surprise, plot twist, it turns out things are not what they seem. And the plot twist involves a plot by the inhabitants of the planet against the senator who is corrupt. Like, in that kind of stroke, there's obviously some really, really important differences between the two episodes. We can, you know, talk about that as we want to but yeah i just kind of felt like that that, that kind of general plot trajectory made it so that i was necessarily when i was looking at those two episodes thinking about like well which of the two do i feel like did it better and kind of in my opinion i feel like choices just edges out justice a little bit so yeah that's kind of my bottom number three yeah that's definitely i i think there's a there's something to the repetition is equals importance kind of idea that seeing it across the years is important that this wasn't just a one-time thing that Dooku got upset and left. This is something that the, the corruption and the problems that he sees has been bothering him for, for years and years. Um, so I liked it in that aspect of it. I did uh, a ranking of, of the series um, on, on our website on clashingsabers.net and it was really hard to like figure out what order to put these two in because they are so similar. But I think what I found is in uh, in choices, which is the one with with Qui Gon and uh, Dooku, right? And Justice yes. is the one with Mace. Oh, no, 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 Justice is him and Qui Gon. Choices, choices is, is him and Mace. Mace. Okay. Yes. So so in the one with him and Qui Gon, it is a senator who is taking advantage of 
the system for his own personal gain in a very like I don't care about the people um, kind of way, you know, that we would expect in in some in a system that's moving towards fascism. And in the one with Mace, it's a lot more uh, inconsiderate in that he didn't really think of the consequences that it would have on the citizens um, by selling off parts of the planet. So I think the point of that for me or what I took away from having both of those was one, the slow burn of Dooku leaving, but two, that he started to see that it was going wrong from all sides. It wasn't just Mm -hmm. one uh, hole in the boat to plug. It was everyone everywhere. And that's what finally sent him over, over the edge there. And um, I really liked getting to see that moment of Qui-Gon standing up to Dooku and getting him to stop because one, I think that kept uh, Dooku in the order longer because yes. he believed that there was hope. But when you look at the the lineage of masters to apprentices, it goes from Dooku down to essentially to, to Luke Skywalker, right? And mm-hmm. you see like these characters who are able to take Qui-Gon in particular, take the good parts of their master and pass them on and take the and leave the the negative behind. So it was cool to get to see Dooku on the light side and uh, even though he wasn't perfect at the time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you know, you bring up that point about both the kind of lineage, what has sometimes been referred to as the disaster lineage, kind of going, from, <laughs> you know, going from Yoda to Dooku to Qui Gon to Obi Wan to Anakin, and then maybe even kind of branching, you know, Obi Wan to Luke, however you want to kind of define it, and then Anakin to Ahsoka, of course. And you know that that notion of like again, you know, to, to pull something from the Last Jedi, though, we are what they grow beyond, is something that you get a little bit of, you know, particularly in the Dooku shorts, kind of hit on it at certain points here and there and you know that's something that happens in the in the short with Qui-Gon where we get that repetition of the Phantom Menace line that Qui-Gon says to Obi-Wan about you're a much wiser man than I am Mm, yeah that hits so good yeah and I think that that was one that was definitely one of my favorite aspects of getting a little bit more of that Dooku Qui-Gon relationship where you get in the first short you obviously get to spend a lot of time with them but then also in the final one you also get to see some of the kind of even though they have kind of less screen time together, you do kind of see the the importance that that relationship holds in particular for Dooku. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, being somebody who continually talks about how amazing uh, Dooku Jedi Lost is, it was cool to see more dynamics of his fall. But I'm going to have more to say on that later. So I'm going to move to my number three, and uh, it is that Anakin is a jerk. <laughs> Um, no, this really, it, this comes down to, to the episode Practice Makes Perfect. And with Ahsoka and Anakin, there is, especially at the, the time when the, the episode starts, there is a little bit of an antagonistic re- relationship between them. Uh, mm-hmm. They haven't quite become, you know, who they will be after Mortis and everything, where they fully trust each other as, as equals um, and not so much as Anakin feeling like a master has to to be above a uh, an apprentice, but here he's just like really rude. Like he's just blatantly rude to her. He um, doesn't seem interested in her as an apprentice in that first scene uh, that we get of her training. 
because he comes in late one which like come on dude um everybody else figured out how to get there on time you could have figured it out but then obi-wan says she's doing you know well or whatever and he says i really wouldn't know and i'm like he what why wouldn't you know how well she's doing like that hit me wrong and then when he goes to stand by her at the end of the the test he's very standoffish when he says uh when she asks him you know for any feedback and he says you don't want to know and it just plays as if she did something wrong when really he's upset with the test and i look look, this is not even like a me needing to defend ahsoka because obviously she she learns the lesson that needs to be learned and everything's fine and it's a good episode but it just hit me as like this isn't what their relationship feels like at this point based on the other materials that we have and i do i I mean i like the idea of the episode i like uh, getting to see you know the across the the timeline and how they present that through her um blackouts and the change of outfits and everything like that um i i like what it does but it just starts off and it's like are they trying to show how much the characters grow across time because they don't really spend a lot of time together to in this to do that but it just didn't hit me as this is what their relationship is yeah, I can I can sort of see that. I think yeah, that episode is really interesting, and I think the depiction of Anakin there, you know, even though you know, we spend very little time with him in Tales overall, and even in the short in particular, I think, you know, I, I think you do get some really kind of important insights and revelations about Anakin, or in some ways, kind of adding to aspects of him that we already know, because, you know. There's, on the one hand, there's the kind of attitude, you know, you know, the, his motivation for, you know, creating the new test for Ahsoka, you know, that, that kind of Anakin attitude of, I can do better, of constantly saying, well, I can, you know, I, I can do things different, I can come up with a better way of doing things, I'm sort of smarter than the average Jedi, you know, you, we see those kind of moments, those kind of shades of Anakin's arrogance all throughout his time in the Jedi, whether it's an attack of the clones whether it's through the Clone Wars and going up all the way into Revenge of the Sith. And so there's that kind of element to him. And then there is the element ultimately, you know, when you look at kind of his motivation for ultimately wanting to create the test, part of it is the, yes, I can do better than what the, the kind of Jedi standard is. But then there is also the element of where he does kind of care a lot about Ahsoka. You know, he has that conversation with her out in the hallway saying, as your master, I got to prepare you to, you know, to face any kind of threat and to be able to stand up against any kind of threat. And so that's why I have to come up with this test where you're not just defending yourself against battle droids, but against the toughest kind of enemy that can be out there. So in that way, you do see in in, uh, ways in which, like, he is caring a lot. And then, you know, maybe eventually the kind of shades of where he, you know, particularly where we see this, you know, manifesting in the relationship with Padme, where he starts caring too much and starts taking on too much kind of responsibility for, I can fix things, I can make things better, I can save people. And you kind of see that. Which leads to kind of the third interesting thing about Anakin here is, I think in a lot of those things that we see with Anakin in this particular short, 
the the rudeness the again the i can do better mentality the the constant pushing of the you know as as we get in the in the in you know that first scene of the first practice where all the clones take out ahsoka she blacks out she wakes up immediately and he's like again and then it happens again and then again over and over i think in those aspects of his personality you are seeing the proto vader like you are seeing the things that once he turns to the dark side are going to come to full fruition here. Because one of the things that that this episode kind of evoked in me, or at least particularly parallels to other Star Wars storytelling, is I think it is in the Charles Soule Vader run, which is Vader training the Inquisitors. And there's a whole thing in there when he takes control of the Inquisitors where he's like, they're doing some training, and he basically comes and says, the training sucks, they're fighting too much like Jedi, I need to train them in order to fight like actual Darksiders. And there's that whole, particularly that one panel where uh, where he is fighting, I think it's Sixth Brother, and he lops off one of his hands or something, or his arm, and there's this scene where the Grand Inquisitor shows up, and he's like, eh, Vader, did you really have to do that? Like, was that necessary? And he has a line where he's like, what was that supposed to teach him? And Vader replies, loss. Now he'll remember that. And so if you take practice makes perfect Anakin, and then you take you know, comic Vader there, you can see the through line of the same kind of personality and mentality and attitudes of how the one becomes the other. Yeah, there's a bit of the the ruthlessness to him. You know, mm-hmm. like he's he's able to separate it's it's interesting because he's both not able to separate himself from his emotion and connection to others and he is and it's kind of this weird like what causes it what doesn't because with like Padme, he's not able to separate himself from his emotions for her ever. You know, that passionate love that he has for goes through all the way through Return of the Jedi when he sees Padme in Luke and and it brings him back to the light. But he's able to separate himself from, you know, that emotion to let Ahsoka continually get hurt um, in order to teach the lesson, which I do think, you know, it, it, it works. You know, he's obviously not trying to hurt her, but he is letting her fail continually and how once he starts seeing the success of that, how he could take it too far because he is in those situations where he is higher in the hierarchy. Maybe that's it. It's a hierarchy when he's in the hierarchy and he's above others, he is able to uh, separate himself and disconnect from them. But when he's set as an equal, uh, Mm. he doesn't really know how to handle that. And I think, Thinking about the the Kenobi show, I was about to say he's able to separate himself from his emotion to to Obi Wan, but thinking on that, it's really clear that he doesn't. He can't. He, no. he makes bad choices uh, tactically to go after Obi Wan. So, yeah, there's. I love Anakin Skywalker because it's just such an interesting, interesting dynamic. I never would have made that connection with the with the comic. So, but like you said, we've got to kind of nitpick these things because the yes. show is really, really good. So, let's go ahead and head into your butt number two. All right. So my butt number two. So when we got the announcement of what Tales of the Jedi was going to be, that it was going to be the six shorts, three of them focusing on one particular character, and that it was going to be this these kind of stories of Ahsoka and Dooku, 
that particularly excited me. On the one hand, just at a kind of individual level of each character, on the one hand, because, you know, I love Ahsoka, you know, you and I, I had you on the show to do a whole Ahsoka Tana episode, so, like, getting more Ahsoka storytelling, particularly in animation, that was exciting. The Dooku stories are really exciting, that prospect, because I think, despite all the storytelling that we have gotten with Dooku, beginning with Attack of the Clones, going into the Clone Wars, and then with something like Dooku Jedi Lost, I think he still remains a very enigmatic figure. And I still feel that even after these three shorts. So the prospect of getting more storytelling with him was really exciting. And then even just beyond the kind of individual feelings about those, the fact of pairing them together I thought was really compelling. You know, there's so much in Star Wars about duality, right? There's master and apprentice, the rule of two, the twins, the dyad, and so on. So the notion of two people kind of being connected is always such a powerful idea on Star Wars. And, you know, putting these two characters in particular, I think is really, really compelling because there's, of course, the kind of surface level comparison of, well, these are both Jedi who ultimately end up leaving the Order albeit their journeys kind of take them in very diametrically different ways. But then there's the kind of deeper level below that where you look at Ahsoka and Dooku's people and you can actually see that there are very similar kind of personalities and mentalities behind the both of them. Both of them are very headstrong. Both of them have very strong internal compasses. They very much march the beats of their own drummers. And of course, those beats, again, take them in very different directions and lead them to make very, very different commitments. But there are those character traits that I think are very similar between the two of them. And so the prospect of, okay, we're going to get these stories side by side. That's really compelling. In terms of the episodes that we did get, though, I, it kind of felt like, with the exception really of the third in each, so Resolve on the one hand and the Sith Lord in the other, I felt like the stories were by and large kind of talking past each other rather than being in conversation with each other. Because, you know, of course, the Dooku stories, a lot of that is kind of giving us this kind of rough trajectory of his eventual disillusionment with and leaving of the Jedi Order, which obviously, you know, Dooku Jedi Lost deals with it, but this also deals with it from a different perspective and different points in time. But in the case of Ahsoka, we'd already gotten that story. We got that in Clone Wars with everything that happens to her there. And then, of course, we kind of see her journey continue in Rebels. So, like, you couldn't really tell that story with Ahsoka. So you kind of tell a different story with Ahsoka, with a different kind of theme. But then the result of that, I felt like, was, as I said, stories that are kind of running on parallel tracks. But then if you try to say, well, how is watching, you know, this ask, you know, watching the Dooku shorts informing how I see the Ahsoka shorts and vice versa. Again, with the exception maybe of the third acts, I don't feel like there's a ton of synergy. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you on that. It does, it, it's kind of weird starting with the one Ahsoka episode, then getting all three Dooku episodes, mm -hmm. and then the two Ahsoka episodes. Like, I... I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around the decision-making there because I do think they're saying something about, uh, you know, the disillusionment with the Jedi Order and how these two characters sacrifice in different ways because Dooku sacrifices by leaving the Order and turning to the dark side, thinking that is the thing that he can do and he has to be the one to do it, to, to go too far so that nobody else has to um, 
in order to, to change the galaxy, whereas Ahsoka is unwilling to sacrifice what she believes in mm-hmm. and what she want she's she is not going to put her own personal safety above the needs of others ever and we see that we see her put herself at risk whereas dooku uh will not put himself at risk to help others because he's not thinking about the individual he's thinking about the galaxy as a whole and so while i don't disagree with you i think there are threads that connect Mm -hmm. but kind of the setup of it is at yeah it's a little bit clunky in that aspect yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you there. And I think, again, once you get to Resolve and Sith Lord, I think that that synergy starts to be there where you see where, like, as you were talking about, when push comes to shove and you know, ah- Ahsoka is being threatened by the Inquisitor and so on, she stands by her principles and, you know, her values as a Jedi and maintains that through adversity versus the trajectory of Dooku's story, which is that when he is presented with tough circumstances, he bends and bends and bends until he ultimately breaks. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, well, I'll hold off on that. Cause I have more to say about that later. Oh, um, but my number two, uh, is retcons and hard to understand timelines. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh my God, they killed the Ahsoka novel. It's not canon anymore. Ah, my life's terrible. I don't like Star Wars anymore. That's not what this is about. But the the story that is told, uh, particularly in Resolve, redoes the Ahsoka novel. And Filoni did keep some of the same beats. You have uh, an Inquisitor. You have a farm uh, culture. You know, all of these things that we did get in the ahsoka novel we we see how she becomes fulcrum and joins the rebellion so i do appreciate that and i can personally separate the two core stories that i consider as as verified canon um but the stories them like the things that they have in common are canon but the stories themselves are are mythic you know and and they they could be told through an unreliable narrator or something of that nature that aspect doesn't bother me. It what worries me is the potential that it opens up for things to just start redoing things that have already happened in Star Wars. Uh, immediately, I, I think about on season two of of Andor, or even the end of season one when we get the Cassian meeting K two. Like, does it re redo the comic? You know, like they're they're probably not going to take a comic and just put it on screen. That just doesn't seem like something they would do. So. I think it's it's bothersome only because of the potential that it could hold for just changing stories because you want to tell a new story when we are presented with this story that we're supposed to believe is one timeline. That aspect bothers me. I can still read the Ahsoka novel and have a perfectly fine time with it, and I can still watch Resolve and have a perfectly fine time with it. I love them both, and not just because they're Ahsoka. They're well-told stories. Um, so that kind of got under my skin a little bit uh and then just dooku's uh, timeline in uh sith lord and that with dooku jedi lost and sith lord and all of those it's really hard to understand how things piece together because it's not very clear in the sith lord that he's left the order already Mm -hmm. you have to do the background reading and piece it together like that um 
and and I don't know how important all of that is to your average viewer trying to uh, you know know what's going on in Tales of the Jedi or Dooku Jedi Lost respectively, but it does it it. it it's one of those things that takes you out of watching the story for a minute, um, trying to figure it all out when you should be in the story enjoying it. So I would have liked a little more clarity on kind of that transition and when it happened and stuff. And maybe if we we saw, you know, the scene where he leaves the order um, that we get in Dooku Jedi Lost or something of that nature to kind of line things up, it would have been a little bit better. But yeah, kind of got under my skin a little bit. Yeah, I sort of get, you know, I, I see where you're coming from, like, particularly to the first point uh, about Resolve and the Ahsoka novel. I actually have more to say about Resolve in just a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think what you're talking about there does speak to one of the kind of, I don't know, challenges or one of the issues within particularly the Disney era of Star Wars storytelling, which is to say that there has been a little bit of talking out of both sides of their mouths, which is that which is to say that when you got the Disney purchase, one of the kind of, I don't know, stated goals, like particularly with the creation of story group was saying, okay, we want to create a kind of unified canon and we want to be able to say, that okay, we're telling all these stories in different media. TV shows, movies, books, comics, etc. But they are reflecting a whole cohesive story beginning to end. But what has happened in practice is that you do have a de facto canon hierarchy. And it's just that's something that has just been obvious in numerous circumstances, whether it is something like Resolve, you know, vis-a-vis the Ahsoka novel, whether it's something like the Bad Batch episode aftermath and its relationship to the canon comics and so on and so forth. So, like, you know, those two realities have been kind of existing side by side with one another. And it kind of feels like at one point or another, one ultimately has to give either you kind of commit to the, we're going to tell the sort of cohesive story, in which case you do want to sort of line things up and have a kind of parody again to the best that you can, because you're never going to be able to do that perfectly with so many media products and so many different creators touching these stories. Or you just kind of give up the project of that and you basically say, okay, we're going to kind of go back to a more sort of wild west where different people have their own little bailiwicks and they're all kind of telling their Star Wars stories and it's all happening like in the world of Star Wars, but we're not going to try to make this effort to say, oh, okay, here's how everything plots on a timeline. Yeah. And I think my biggest concern goes to the hierarchy that you, you mentioned, like there definitely is a hierarchy. Um, you can tell that just with the kinds of stories that they're telling um, in different places like the stories in the comics are not as essential for the most part uh as the books which are not as essential as but that that divide growing wider i think becomes really dangerous for those of us who want to be able to enjoy the the unified story um, particularly those of us that like to get into these deep discussions and debates and conversations about it, because I feel like, you know, if we're going to be sold this, this unified canon, I should be able to pull something, you know, a fact from a book or an audio drama or whatever it may be that maybe somebody else hasn't read 
and be able to use that as evidence for, for my argument of why X equals Y or whatever it may be. And uh, same thing for, for people who read comics to be able to present that stuff to, to me, who I don't keep up with the comics. And so if we make that divide start to, to grow wider, I think it kind of starts to invalidate uh, certain kinds of storytellings as, as not important to Star Wars um, when one of Star Wars's strengths is that it's been able to, to go across so many mediums. So maybe we just need more clarity on it. I don't know, but it's something that I'm definitely keeping an eye on and I'll be curious to see how it develops. So... Let's go ahead and go to your worst butt, your number one butt. All right. So I kind of already teased it in our prior conversation just now, but my 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 bottom number one, my number one butt goes to the back half of Resolve. So there's a couple of conversations that you can have. So by back half, I essentially mean everything with having to do with Ahsoka on the farm planet. Not really the first half, although we can talk about the first half too. So I'm just really kind of, my bottom number one is really reserved for all that stuff. So, you know, there's a couple conversations you can have about that. You can have the conversation on the one hand that we just had about the canon questions and about the existence of this de facto hierarchy and, you know, how do you want to deal with this concept of canonicity in Star Wars? Like, to what extent do we really want to be committed to it? I frankly am comfortable with a looser commitment to canonicity, but that's a, that, that can be its own episode. So there's that conversation to be had about it. There's another conversation that has been had and needs to be had about in terms of the issue of representation and conversations about the perceived disposability of marginalized characters and the ease sometimes with which they are written out or written around in certain Star Wars storytelling. That's an important conversation to have. I am not qualified to have that conversation, but there are people within the fandom community and within the content creator community who have been having that conversation. And I would encourage folks to go find those folks and listen to what they have to say about that. You know, with you know the um, you know with the presence of queer characters and BIPOC characters in the Ahsoka novel who do not make an appearance in the resolve story or the resolve version of that story that's a conversation to be had and needs to be had but again as i said i am not the person who is qualified to have that conversation so i will leave that conversation to the people who are qualified to get into those issues instead i'm going to focus on the thing that i am qualified to speak on and what i'm going to make my bottom but about for this back half of resolve which is it's just not as good as the version of the story that we get in the ahsoka novel i think if you are going to be a creator like a Dave Filoni and you are going to go back to a story that has already been told in one fashion and you say, okay, I'm going to retell it or tell it from a different perspective or however you want to define that, your minimum obligation should be to tell a version of that story that is at least as good as the one that already exists. And I do not think that Back Half Resolve meets that. You know, he talked about, I think, subsequent when it came out, you talked about how in writing Resolve, or at least, again, the, the part of the story of Ahsoka on the farm planet, that he used the outline that he'd given for the book. And frankly, the story that we get feels like it is still an outline. Like, it does not pack the kind of emotional punch that I think other parts of Tales do. Like, I've, I finished watching that and the encounter with the, with the Inquisitor and all that and didn't really 
have much emotions, didn't really feel much of anything. So I just think, and particularly, it lacks even emotional weight relative to the first half of Resolve, where you get the Padme funeral and the wonderful conversation between her and Bale and just that fantastic vocal performance by Ashley Eckstein of, she was my friend. And then we get to the second half, and it just kind of falls flat. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you on any of that. <laughs> um, I guess you kind of put into words something that I, I didn't realize I feel about the relationship between Resolve and the Ahsoka novel. Because, you know, I have, I've been, even beyond, you know, being a massive Ahsoka fan, I've praised that book for... for ages since it came out that like this is one that people are sleeping on and Mm -hmm. it it there's definitely you know pushing out of the the characters and the representation and everything like that that that's uh honestly something i hadn't hadn't thought of before but is a very important conversation to have but the the advantage with the book, or with any book really, is you get more time to marinate with the characters. You get to have time inside their head and stuff like that. And that's something that I feel like in a what 13 minute short or however long it is, you obviously don't have the time to do as you do in, in 250, 300 pages, whatever it may be. Um, and for this story, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to have that extra time of Ahsoka really trying to fight those instincts and not being able to to stop herself because that's her realizing who at her core she is. And I love Ahsoka at all times, but Rebels Ahsoka is my favorite version of Ahsoka because yes. she's gone through that and she is hope now. She is the light because she's gone through that that failure of the institution, that betrayal from her her family and you know of the Jedi Order, her uh, really discovering who she is in ways outside of of the Jedi Order, and she takes all that and she's be able to become something that many people call you know what a Jedi should be, even though she's not technically a Jedi, and if this were the only story that happened in the Ahsoka novel that didn't happen, I'd be like, okay, like it makes sense. It tracks. But the Ahsoka novel definitely gives you that time that makes it feel more visceral and more real to, uh, to her character. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And then I, you know, again, you know, some of this comes down to it's, as you said, it's a 13 minute short and you know, you, you can only pack so much. I was like, again, this is also in the nitpicky territory, which is that like, I was miffed that the short doesn't give us the white kyber crystals because like, that's like my favorite thing from that novel. And again, it goes, it speaks thematically to Ahsoka as this kind of light force and this purifying force. And it's like, oh man, like if you wanted to hit an emotional beat and not have to spend a lot of screen time to do it, like there it is. Yeah. Could you imagine just like a scene we get in the, uh, in the Vader comics, we get Vader bleeding the crystals. It would be so cool to see Ahsoka restoring them like on the screen or in a visual medium would be really, really cool. But uh, So my number one uh, comes down to opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I, I, I love this show. I want more. Um, I feel like this should be a full-on series. 
uh, not just a, a, a series of shorts. Um, and I know, you know, Filoni came up with this story and was just kind of playing around with it. And they were like, hey, you should make it. Um, so it was kind of just like a, a side project. But with how good it is and how much it adds to particularly Dooku, um, a six to eight episode season uh, with, you know, 25 to 30 minutes uh animation doesn't have to be 20 plus episodes i i think that could be really really um cool and i i I don't think it got the marketing that it deserves it was like almost Mm -hmm. non-existent it gets released on the same day as andor and like for me i'm having to decide between okay do i watch andor uh, because I don't want to get spoiled and know I can't avoid it for too long, or do I watch Tales of the Jedi because it's Ahsoka? It's like, it just kind of dropped, and it was there, and nobody knew anything about it uh, outside of the, the fandom. And then after the reception that it got, we haven't heard anything about future plans as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sh- they need to capitalize on the momentum that this has, because... It's going back to our earlier conversation. It's proven creators that are making it. It's, you know, hitting these Star Wars beats. And with it being called Tales of the Jedi and then finally not limiting themselves um, to, you know, a time period with names like Rebels or Clone Wars or Resistance or whatever, you can jump around eras and you could have this show go on for years and years. You could do a season where you have stuff in the High Republic. You could do all these different parallels you could have uh you know a six episode to eight episode season where you have half of it is luke and half of it is uh elzar man or avar chris or whatever and you see the parallels between those characters it just has so much opportunity and i feel like this is something that they are like "Mm, wow we didn't expect that to happen okay cool let's move on we've got andor to continue talking about it's like you're you're selling it short and it's another one of those animation is not relegated to second tier it needs to be treated as such yeah i absolutely agree i mean for one don't get me started in terms of the bigger conversation of whatever the hell is going on with lucasfilm scheduling and promotion i don't know what's happening i I don't think they know if we want to talk about wild west the wild west is you know you get a bad batch panel at celebration where you release a trailer that says this fall. And I'm like, eh, actually, we're going to do it in January. What's happening? And or getting pushed a month before it's supposed to be released. Like, I, I don't know what's like. I have no idea. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you that yeah, Tales of the Jedi is something that one should have gotten its own little space. Something like what Visions did, where Visions did kind of just have its little, it had its own little moment. Like, it didn't really have to compete with anything. I don't, I don't think. I don't think it was released at the same time. Not that I can think of, no. Yeah. So, yeah, giving it its own little room to breathe there as being its own kind of Star Wars thing. Like, I sort of compare it to, like, you know, something that is coming out now, like, with Marvel, where you're going to have the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Like, that's coming out, like, a little bit after, you know, Wakanda Forever. Imagine if those two things had premiered the same day. You know, like, giving it that space where it can be its own thing, it can be in the limelight a little bit, and people can kind of appreciate it and digest that on its own, as opposed to, like like you were saying, I had that same feeling of like, which am I going to watch first? Like, I got to watch Andor, okay, then got Squeeze and Tales of the Jedi. Like that, and then number two, yes, I think there is, particularly with something like 
Tales of the Jedi, which has this very sweeping name. And by the way, just some inside baseball. My original bottom number three was going to be the name Tales of the Jedi because I was like, it evoked something so much grander in terms of scope. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's actually like anecdotes about two Jedi. Like, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think, but, you know, to circle back to that point, like, having that name does give you the space and this opportunity to say, okay, let's now hop around and tell stories in different periods with different characters. And it doesn't even have to be like, you know, in this case, we had two prequel Jedi characters. You could have a High Republic and a sequel trilogy, or you could, you know, you could do whatever permutation you can think of, of Jedi. Yeah, I mean, it, and and you could change the structure each year, you know, um, or each season or whatever it may be. Like, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity here, Um that I just don't feel like they're capitalizing on. And the the comparison divisions is is a really good pool because I think, and thankfully Drew's not here to, to argue <laughs> with me about this, I think in terms of, of at least the side of fandom that I see on social media, the stories of Tales of the Jedi were more well-received on the whole than the stories of Visions, you know? There's obviously some great Visions episodes, um, but just overall, I think that it's it's fair to say that the general reception was more towards Tales of the Jedi in terms of liking more, a, a higher percentage of um, the series, but Visions had a bigger impact. There you go, Drew. I said it. Visions had a bigger impact because it had that time to breathe. Uh, and then that led to, you know, a, a novel that led to more uh, toy promotions and uh, products coming out that led to a season two apparently happening because of that momentum um, that it had. And I visions was never set up as a continuing thing. It was very much just like this is something that's happening. And we all were like. Mm, okay is this a, an ongoing a limited can you give us some direction here which was kind of the same thing with tales of the jedi but with visions they made a decision hey this was well received we're going to push it forward and i don't think you gave tales of the jedi that advantage or not even advantage that opportunity by squishing it in with Andor, and especially right when we're hitting, you know, the peak of of what we've gotten Andor so far, I think the only way we could have set it up for less success was to put it with like the finale episode. Yes, you know, um, so that's kind of it's just kind of annoying as somebody who's a proponent for uh, for for animation. But again, all of that is nitpicking um, because. These shows are really, really good. So let's get into to the good stuff and our best. And so uh, I'm going to let you go with your number three. All right. So when you reached out to me initially to invite me on for this episode, one of the things that you said is that the top bottom threes do not have to just be episodes. Well, I am going. Two of my top three are, in fact, just whole episodes, starting oh, with number three, which is the short life and death. Uh, I remember seeing this at Celebration, at the Tales of the Jedi panel in one of the Overflow rooms, and of course rewatched it when we got it on Disney Plus. And I mean, there, there's so many things I love about it. I mean, on the one hand, I think it is the most 
visually stunning of all six of them, just in terms of the quality of the animation, that somehow with each time we get a new project that's in this animation style, just seems to hum somehow in, in intangible yet tangible ways seems to get better. Like where, you know, we get Clone Wars season seven in that style and it looks really good. And then you get Bad Batch and it's like a little bit better. And then you get Tails and it's a little bit better than that. And it's, you can't like pinpoint, you say, oh, this is what they're doing different. And yet when you watch it, you're like, wow, it really is different. So you get the, just the stunning visuals of the animals and the forest and the Togruta village and all of that. So there's that element to it. But then also just the story and the themes. I'm just like, there, there are certain aspects of Star Wars where I, like in terms of my appetite for consumption, there's just a bottomless well. And one of those for me is that, you know, going back to the, the Yoda line in, in Empire about like the force surrounds us and binds us, the tree, the rocks, everything, everywhere. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings though we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. And like, that's the entirety of like this short is them being in the forest and Ahsoka having this connection with the cat or the, the saber tooth, whatever you want to call it. And so like getting into that and then even just like beyond that, the themes about you know, going to the title of the short life and death where Ahsoka's mother is teaching her this really important lesson about on the one hand, honoring life but then also confronting death and not being afraid, you know, having her look at the, I know they actually have a name, but like the Star Wars antelope, <laughs> you know, as it's being killed, which on the one hand you think, you know, for a, I guess what, she's like one year old here. I'm like, that's pretty stark. <laughs> you know, yeah, it really is. <laughs> to have the child watch this animal die. But then you also, but then you think about like the importance of, and the value of that lesson. You think about the ways that somebody like Anakin wasn't able to take in that lesson, like particularly of confronting and accepting death. You know, again, you know, it goes back to the, you know, the Yoda line in Return of the Jedi when he's dying and he talks about how twilight is upon me. That is the way of things, the way of the force. That acceptance of the inevitability of it and that it comes and that it's a natural part of life. The very antithesis of that being the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. The unwillingness to accept death, the willingness to bend and pervert nature and the force in order to will yourself to live beyond natural means. And that contrast is just something, again, that, that bottomless well. Like, I love it every time we get some version of it in Star Wars. Yeah, and it... I'm particularly thinking of uh, Twilight of the Apprentice and how she willingly gives herself to death instead of abandoning Anakin again because she learns from that mistake and she has the the heritage of that. Like it, it's it's in her very soul and spirit to have this respect for life and death and life and death is also kind of my number three. Um, All right. It's Ahsoka's natural force abilities, which kind of goes along with, with right what you're saying, because she contains the daughter, 
right, from Mortis. And this series, this episode in particular, uh, shows that she has that pure connection with the natural world, that it is at her core, and that she at her core is what the light side is all about. And having that respect for life and death from birth um, makes her someone who understands the gravity of the role she plays post-mortis with having the daughter within her. And I think we see that in Twilight of the Apprentice. We see that in her willingly giving herself to death because she understands the push and pull between that um, because she has essentially defeated death. Um, And so getting to see that this is something that was both nature and nurture for her is really, really powerful. Getting to see that even though she wasn't raised uh, in her village and by her parents, um, that they had an impact on her was very, very cool. Um, And then just to see uh, that shot of her touching the tiger uh, and thinking about the uh, end of Book of Boba Fett and Grogu touching the Rancor and how they reflect each other, because to me, that alludes to what a Jedi needs to be. They are both sides of what a Jedi needs to be. Grogu is about love and connection with others. Ahsoka doesn't judge. She balances life and death. If you put all of those together, they are, to me, the perfect balance of what a Jedi should be. And so all of that together kind of just makes this the episode, but particularly just for me getting to see that aspect of Ahsoka's connection with the force and and how it was developed not just through the Jedi order but through you know the very core of her culture and her being yeah exactly and you know you make the comparison to Grogu in Book of Boba Fett which is spot on and I think with both of those putting those side by side you get another kind of I think powerful Star Wars theme and idea. And again, it goes to another Yoda line, the truly wonderful, the mind of a child is mm-hmm. there is that notion of, yeah. the, of the, these children, these young people as being these kind of pure manifestations of like, this is what it is to live in nature and to be with the force before you get older and you become cynical and you become hardened and you face the world and you start to be tested and, you start getting pulled in all these different directions and you have all these other motivations and other people are kind of whispering things in your ears and all of that. Like before any of that happens here, we're seeing just the pure 200 proof natural environment and communion with life, nature and the force. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's beautiful. I mean, and to think that, you know, uh, we kind of get contaminated if you will, as we grow, you know, and we get disconnected from, from the force in so many ways. And it's almost something that can't be avoided, but to, for those who are, have established that since, you know, childhood tend to be able to withstand the storm a little bit better. You know, um, those, those lessons you were taught when you were very young, tend to stick with you you know like i i live in texas there's a lot of hunters and stuff here hunters have most of them obviously i I can't speak in in uh absolutes but most hunters and people who who you know uh raise animals and, and stuff to to sell to markets and stuff have more respect for animals and living things than somebody who is is completely against hunting because they don't want to kill an animal like 
they understand and and they tend to have a, a good grasp on the push and pull of life and and the the give and take the balance of it um and they may not be able to say it you know in in a way as eloquent as you know ray and last jedi or whatever it may be but just like a young ahsoka here they have that that purity to understanding because it's how they were raised and it's what they were brought up on and uh it's just really cool to, to see that go through ahsoka so uh let's go ahead and go to our number twos and i'm gonna throw it back to you all right my bottom number two is the only one that is not an episode and that is bryce dallas howard as yaddle ah so good because yeah you know we we find out we we're gonna get yaddle in in this story and you know we learn a few days out before this that she is going to be the performer of her and Yaddle has been basically since we ever got her in back in 1999. I, you know, I'm not th- that familiar with whatever kind of legend storytelling to the extent there has been on Yaddle. She has always been the kind of perennial glupshido. You know, even when she has shown up in High Republic, she has still just shown up and kind of came and went. She has not been the kind of central character, a main character in any stories, like particularly any kind of you know, prominent ones that you might see on screen and such. And so, you know, I mean, one of the things I just on a kind of like as a viewer level, I remember like thinking about when I heard, oh, Bryce Dallas Howard is voicing Yaddle. One of my immediate thoughts going into the short was, oh, does knowing that, is that going to take me out of the experience of watching it? Because, you know, you do have that sometimes, whether if you're watching something that's animated or even something that's live action, and you're also like, hang on, I know that person from this. And then it's sometimes just that little bit harder to accept them in this other role. But I think Bryce does such a good job of creating a, a character out of this really kind of blank canvas that is Yaddle. Like, there's not really a whole ton to go on, but she's able to give a performance that gives Yaddle this kind of warmth and invitingness and a way that kind of connects with you immediately and you immediately kind of empathize with her and relate to her as a character. That, like, in the context of, if you're just thinking about, she only has, what, like, 12 to 15 minutes, however long that short is. Like, it's just an incredible achievement to do. Yeah, and she has the wisdom that you would expect uh, from somebody who sat on the council, but particularly from somebody of Yoda's species, but without using the easy fallback of, of speaking like Yoda in, yes. in backwards and in riddles. She's very straightforward in how she talks, but she's still able to have that gravitas and that, that wisdom. and. I think that, you know, a, a lot of that goes to the writing. A lot of that goes to, to Bryce Dallas Howard also because you have to portray that through really just the voice. Like, she doesn't get to have a say in, you know, the way that the eyes look or how they position her or whatever it may be that kind of, you know, relates her to the audience. But she controls that one element and she executed on that absolutely amazingly. And... You know, we like you said, we don't have a lot of Yaddle stuff, but it was it made me really sit up when we got that moment of, of her saying, that's why I left the council. You know, I, I see what you're seeing, Dooku. That's why I left the council. I was like, wait a minute. 
Okay, so it wasn't just like a rotating door over there where they're like, ah, we just need new Jedi, you know, on the council. Now we've got reasons for why, you know, these Jedi are leaving and and even, you know, thinking about Mace Windu, how they're ending up on on the Jedi Council. So getting all of that stuff uh, was was really cool. And when that door dropped uh, and you thought it was all over, I mean... I, she went from a character I didn't really care one way or another about uh, to somebody I was like, oh, man, that that hurts. And then you get that hope. And then Duke mm-hmm. just crushes it again. Uh, it's just it, it's beautiful storytelling in such a short span of time. Um, and, and they didn't they didn't do it the easy way. That's not to say that they complicated it more than it had to be. But they could have done, you know, easy fallbacks and tropes of, of just making Yaddle like uh, like Yoda, and they didn't. They added and created, or not even added, but they, they developed her character in a really, I mean, a way that really makes her, it hurt when Dooku uh, cuts her down, and especially when he says, then I will give you peace, because it's like he actually believes that yes. that's what it is. Uh, it's just oh, so good. So my number two is uh, the relationship dynamics that we get to explore. Mm. There are a ton of them, uh, but I particularly want to focus on the Dooku and Qui-Gon and Dooku and Mace um, ones because those to me were the the most engaging and exciting ones to be able to see because obviously Dooku, Qui-Gon, we have... we had nothing on screen up to this point and the only time we really had them together was in dooku jedi lost we got a little bit um and more so in master and apprentice and all of that stuff was really really good but uh you mentioned this earlier the line of we are what they grow beyond just kept playing in my mind throughout that entire episode because as i said you know before qui-gon is able to take the good from Dooku and continue it on. And I think that is something that we don't often consider um, or even get to consider with these villains is what are they doing that's right or what do they believe yeah. that's right? And we're getting more of those, you know, with uh, with characters like Thanos and stuff. It's like Thanos is not wrong about the fact that resources are very, very slim relative to the amount of people that exist. There's 8 billion people in the world now. Not enough resources. He's just really, really wrong about what to do about it. And it's kind of the same thing with Qui-Gon. But you see, uh, you know, um, oh, God, what's what's Thanos' daughter's name in Marvel? I just completely uh, Gamora. Blanked. Thank you. Gamora is able to come out of that environment and still be somebody who is... is on the good side and is able to be productive and take the lessons she learned from there and apply them in a positive way. And Qui-Gon's able to do that here. And I love getting to see not just the two of them together, but the way that Qui-Gon handles that situation of Dooku choking the senator of the the dynamic of of do we support the republic or do we support the people because i always go back to that line of uh in master and apprentice where he talks about you know if if our code tells us one thing and the person in front of us uh their needs tell us another you know which is it's obvious which one we choose uh 
that's this right here. You know, he's choosing not to let um, Dooku go down a wrong path because of the need of the person in front of him. And then you kind of get the reverse of that with Dooku and Mace, where they're just like pushing back against each other. Uh, that's really, really interesting to see. Uh, and and I like that we didn't make this episode. This episode is very much focused on Dooku, but we got to see why Mace gets on the council and Dooku doesn't is because Mace doesn't question. Yes. He's a good lap dog. He uh, is the polar opposite of everything that Dooku is. And the two of them, they are really opposing sides of the, the relationship between the Jedi Order and the Council and kind of the disconnect there. And then the disconnect with the, the people in need. And it's crazy to think that, you know, we have Dooku, who is a bad guy, and we have Mace, who is a good guy, and yet here we are going, no, Dooku's right. What are you doing? You need to figure out why this Jedi Master just randomly got killed. Um, and and yet somehow it's still Mace Windu, even though he didn't help with anything. It's still Mace Windu who gets the the accolades and gets to have the seat on the Jedi Council. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the, you know, to go back to when I was talking about in my, you know, bottom, my bottom three, when I was talking about you know, choices edging out justice for me, a big part of that was getting to see that Dooku Windu yeah. dynamic, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of alluded to a little bit in Attack of the Clones. You get that particularly that moment on Geonosis when they're up on the balcony, you get that sort of sense of, oh, okay, these two kind of have a past with each other. Because he, ha- you know, he has he refers to Mace as my old Jedi friend, and but then actually getting to see that interact where you've got Dooku who is on the one hand, you know, he's seeing what's happening on the ground and he's learning what the situation is on on Raxus and what why these guards did what they did and it is causing him to kind of change his perspective where you know he has that conversation with the imprisoned guard where he says well, i don't agree with your methods but i do sympathize with where you're coming from versus the contrast set up with mace where he just sticks to the jedi platitudes and his perspective is not changed by anything that happens in the events of those episodes and then yeah you mentioned the kind of end scene which i love that confrontation at the very end it's, it works so well where you we learn that Mace has gotten Master Cautry's old seat on the council, and then Duke immediately goes like, well, did you know about that before we went on this mission? Even if you said, like, yes, I knew. No, I didn't know. Dooku's not going to believe what the words that come out of his mouth. The trust is just not there anymore. And so, yeah, just getting to see, I mean, we, you know, we talked about that particular interaction, but yes, even the other ones, as you mentioned, the Dooku-Qui-Gon dynamic of, again, you know, going back to something I was talking about before about bottomless wells in Star Wars, master apprentice stories, can never get enough of those. You know, and even going into the uh, Ahsoka stories, getting to see some of that relationship with whether it's the relationships with her and her mother, with her and Anakin. Yeah, I think that's one of the really strong parts of Tales. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and go ahead and give my number one here because I think it 
flows together and I have okay. a feeling I know what your number one is. Mm-hmm. Um, but my number one is getting to see that progression and particularly regret um, for Dooku. Uh, we talked earlier about, you know, choices and justice kind of being similar. And I mentioned, you know, Senator uh, Dagonet is intentionally hurting his citizens and Senator Larkin is selling the land for industrialization without thinking of the consequences. Um same thing, but different. Just kind of like we were talking about with Dooku and Qui-Gon versus Dooku and Mace. Um, but he goes through all of that, and then we get to the Sith Lord, and he's made his decision. He's left. He's he's kind of pulled the final trigger in deleting Kamino. Um, and, and you would expect him to be hardened at this point. You would expect him to be uncaring and you know everything a sith lord is supposed to be and he's not and i love when he he falls to his knees right after he thinks he's killed yaddle because that's his his point of no return and it's very much uh you know like anakin becoming darth vader and he you know, he kills Yaddle and then Palpatine or Sidious is like, you know, rise my friend. Uh, it, and it just really, it took it in a direction I never expected, but it made complete and total sense that Dooku is not just doing this because he has problems with the Jedi. He's not just doing this because he has problems with the Republic. He's doing this because he literally believes that it's the only thing that can work, and he is the only one that can do it. He's he To him, to Dooku, he is sacrificing everything for the greater good. And it's not like Anakin. Anakin turns to the dark in, in a very selfish way. He wants you know, to save one person. Dooku is trying to save the entire galaxy. That's the way he sees it. And I never considered Dooku to be that kind of character. Um, But it fills in a lot of gaps in his character that become really clear after considering this fact of like, we always knew he left the order. We knew he joined the dark side. We never really, Dooku Jedi Lost shows his, you know, his disillusionment, but we never really got that, how did he feel about it aspect. And in just a few moments in the Sith Lord, we get to see that. And that is, to me, the best part of of Tales of the Jedi. All right. We're going to continue that conversation because you have teed me up very well to give my top number one, and that is simply the Sith Lord. I knew it. I knew it. We have gotten a lot of great Star Wars this year, particularly on screen. You know, wonderful moments, you know, something like A Tribes of Tatooine and Book of Boba Fett, the tear-jerking finale of Kenobi, almost pretty much every minute of Andor that we've gotten. The Sith Lord is my favorite piece of on-screen Star Wars media from 2022. I love the Sith Lord. This is something I I have not stopped thinking about the Sith Lord since I first watched it. You know, we we talked at the beginning when we were talking about Andor, and I made the point about how it's a show where you you get to marinate with these characters and environments. It's 12 episodes, each of them being, you know, roughly 45 to 50 minutes. And 
you see there the value and what you can get from that kind of long form storytelling. And it's incredibly compelling and wonderful. And I'm glad we have something like that. But then with this, you see something of the opposite, which is there's equally a kind of creative challenge and a creative brilliance saying, okay, you have 15 minutes to tell a story as a beginning, a middle and end that has characters who go on an arc, who change over the course of that 15 minutes and a story that has thematic and emotional weight. And the Sith Lord is a 10 out of 10 on all of those. It is phenomenal. There is so much great stuff in this episode. You know, to, to the stuff that you were talking about Dooku just now, about really getting to see his turn to the dark side. I mean, one of the things that just the whole Dooku arc that we get in these three episodes reinforces, like it goes back to something that is so fundamental about the nature of the dark side. You know, we get that first episode where he has the confrontation with the senator and he force chokes the senator to try to get him to stop. And when I was talking about tales and about this episode on my own show, I sort of compared this moment and what it evoked to me when I was watching it was the moment in season two of Clone Wars when Anakin force chokes Poggle the Lesser in the Geonosis brainworms arc. And, you know, what you see with the dark side is it, there, there's this moment where the characters both kind of touch the darkness. You know, Dooku does it there. Anakin does it in that instance. And you can kind of empathize in both circumstances. Like, well, you know, Dooku on the one hand, he's got these people who are shooting at him. His life is literally in danger. And you've got the senator who's a really bad guy. So, like, you know, go for it. Like, choke him out. And, you know, ditto with Anakin in that instance. You know, his apprentice is in danger. This person knows the cure. Like, you got to get the solution. But then as soon as you do it, it becomes easier to do it again and again and again to go back into that well until you eventually get to the point where, as Dooku is in the Sith Lord, he gets to the hangar and he's talking to Sidious and he's like, I've given up everything. I, I, I betrayed everything I believed in and everyone that I was with in order to help you. And it's like it's such an important lesson about the dark side, which is that all these people who turn to the dark, a Count Dooku, an Anakin Skywalker, a Ben Solo. They all go to the dark because they want to get something from it. But the lesson of the dark side is the dark side never gives. The dark side takes and takes and takes. It always wants more. It always wants more from you. It is never satisfied. That is why you get you know the moment at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker. Right? The First Order is just the beginning. I could give you so much more. What could you give me? Everything. It always wants more. It is constantly, it is just a black hole sucking things in. And so you get that moment, you know, you get to see just, I was alluding to this earlier when we were having this conversation of the importance that Qui-Gon held for Dooku, just that powerful moment where Dooku is standing in front of the great tree at the temple and the leaves are falling, that being a metaphor for, you know, the tree is dying, the light is dying inside Dooku. He's watching this tree, he's watching these leaves fall. You know, you are realizing this moment, it's really kind of reinforcing that Qui-Gon's death really was this kind of seminal turning point in the galaxy, where it is this catalyst that not just puts Anakin into the training of Obi-Wan Kenobi instead of, you know, being trained by Qui-Gon and those consequences, you know, to go back to that great Dave Filoni soliloquy that he gives in the Mando season one in the scenes about the, you know, Anakin needed a father, he got a brother. 
but then also that his death is the catalyst for Dooku's turn, and by extension, it's indirect catalyst for the Clone Wars. It adds weight to that moment, to the end of The Phantom Menace. And you get to see just how much Qui-Gon mattered him when he's confronting Sidious about it. It's like, you, like, how could you let Maul kill him? And then, you know, Palpatine does that great moment of like, you know, we all make sacrifices. I lost my apprentice. And it's like, it, it's such a like, it's such a Palpatine-esque move where, you know, he's drawing this equivalence and saying like, well, yes, you lost an apprentice, but I lost one too. But you know intuitively that like, Dooku actually cared about Qui-Gon, whereas Palpatine never cared about Maul. <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's this stupid false equivalence that he's making. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, that is at weight to something like, you know, the, the moment in Attack of the Clones when Dooku's talking to Obi-Wan and he's like, I wish he were still around. I could use his help right now. You, you see that and it's like, it's 100% sincere. He's absolutely talking to us. He really thinks if Qui-Gon were here, he could really be helping me right now. And I really miss him. And you see just that heartbreak there in the short. And... Just, yeah, again, you know, some of this is plugging back to my top number two, which is all the great Yaddle stuff and the confrontation that they have in the works where she is trying to tell him, you know, you still have the opportunity. You can still make the right choice. You can still come back. You can still atone and make up for what you've done. And Dooku, again, believing like so many Darksiders do, they convince themselves it's too late for me. I can't go back. I, I've made my bet. I have to lie in it when the message of Star Wars always, there's always a choice. You always have the ability to do better. And then, yeah, you know, you mentioned that symbolism of he crushes Yaddle or he thinks he does under the door, which at first when that happened, I was like, oh man, like what a way to go. And then the symbolism of her holding up the light and Dooku's looking at the light and Palpatine slash Sidious, he is repulsed by the light. He, he recoils. And then it falls, and you know, with her death, with Dooku killing her, like that is that that extinguishes the hope that he could still stay to the light. And yeah, and when you think about you know the the moment with the tree, I think it supports that even more because in Dooku Jedi Lost, I don't know if it's the same tree. Um, but Dooku tries to prove himself to Yoda by, like, ripping this force tree out of the ground um, because he thinks power is what's going to be impressive to Yoda. But Yoda took him on as an apprentice because he wanted to teach him that it's not about the power. It's about, you know, the other th traits of being a Jedi. And so you get that is him trying to prove himself. And then you get this moment in the tree where it's kind of the death of him as a jedi so it's kind of like his birth and death of a jedi all around that tree uh is it's just like those crazy little details that add so much depth and that's what this show did really really well like that whole conversation you were talking about with uh dooku and mace and dooku and obi-wan like take on different meanings because of this uh you know getting to see the shot of, of Yaddle in the Jedi Council when uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are, are there is completely different now because we know what happens afterwards and we know the effect that that had on the Jedi Order. And yeah, it's just the, the parallels, everything. I mean, look, I tried really hard to nitpick that episode. I... I mean, I've written about it. I'm now talking about it. 
Like we're talking about an, an episode where or a, a series where it was fifty percent Ahsoka, and here we are spending ninety percent of the time uh, talking about Count Dooku because of this episode. It just hits on absolutely every single level, and you know it. it it's one of those things where I, I don't know if it's what you introduce somebody to Star Wars with, but once somebody's seen the movies, if they were like. I kind of want to get more into it. Be like, come sit down. Give me 45 minutes. Watch these three. And by the time they get to Sith Lord, they're full in hardcore Star Wars fans. They're already going to be subscribed to both of our podcasts. It's going to mm. be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Yes. So, any uh, any final thoughts on Tales of the Jedi? <sighs> Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've gotten into... So, I mean, there's probably... There's a bunch of other stuff that we haven't talked about, but... I mean, I guess the one other thing to point out about it is... To talk about it as a kind of... You know, to sing its praises is the music. The, the uh, Kevin Kiner yes. score of it is really good. Like, the music in, for example, in Life and Death. Uh, the fact... To go back again to the Sith Lord. The fact that at the very end, when he... When Dooku is, you know... Com- killed Yaddle and he has now made his full turn as a Sith Lord that the musical cue that plays is from Padme's ruminations in Revenge of the Sith yeah it's it's really 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 good job by by Kevin Kiner yeah and it's side note a great album to listen to just on the reg I've I've had it going between that and the the two uh, volumes of the Andor soundtracks that have come out it's been it's been a good time for for Star Wars music. So, uh, Devor, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can subscribe to your amazing podcast. Sure. So you can find a larger view of the Force pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Odds are I am there too. So go check it out. I you know at the time that this is coming out, I've already done a Tales of the Jedi episode as well. I got into other things that, you know, uh, touched on in addition to all the things I talked about here. So there's not a whole ton of overlap in terms of the conversation. So if you want to hear more about Tales of the Jedi, go check out that episode. And then you can also follow the show on Twitter at a larger view pod. Awesome. And uh, you know where to find us because you found us. Uh, subscribe on all of your podcast networks. Hey, we would really love uh, if you could take a minute and go give us a rating and review wherever you listen because that really helps us uh, be able to spread uh, more awareness about the network and bring more amazing people in to have conversations uh, for, for you all to listen to. So uh, also, we are on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at Clashing Sabers, uh, and our, our Facebook group, Star Wars Clashing Sabers. Uh, we will have links for all of that uh, in, in the show notes, but I would just say uh, make sure you are subscribed because we will have uh, Forever Star Wars coming out with an Andor wrap-up episode. We'll have our uh, top three, bottom three best in butts for, for season one of Andor. We're working on some roundtable ideas, so there's going to be a lot of Clashing Sabers content coming out over these next couple months as we get more and more Star Wars content. And you can get it all in one nice, neat feed by just pressing subscribe on there. Uh, and then finally, our Patreon. 
Uh, we are. I got a. I got a really um, cool message today uh, from Patreon of like, you need to fill out these tax forms because you made it enough on Patreon to have to actually notify the IRS or whatever. I was like, wow, look at us go. I've never had to do that before. It's kind of intimidating, but it's uh, it's pretty amazing that we have so many awesome people who are supporting us uh, and that mission to put more Star Wars books into schools across the country. So uh, patreon.com slash classing sabers. That will also be in the show notes. And um, Devor, you know, the, the one thing that this, this was really missing was batch eight. Hi ho, say hi ho. Hi ho. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Everybody's going to think you're a fake. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?